Isn't it hard to believe it's already October? 2020 has been a strange year, and for a lot of us, 2020 has been a challenging year. And I'm here to help you out just in time for the holidays. Halloween is right around the corner, plus Thanksgiving, Christmas. Before you know it, it'll be 2021. And well, we're probably all really looking forward to that. But the holidays can be a very stressful time for families who maybe you're having to stretch that budget a little further. And with all the extra wrinkles and expenses this year, this could be the most challenging holiday season ever for a lot of families. And that's where I think SaveWithConrad.com can help you out. I hope so, at least. We've routinely helped our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. If you've unfortunately racked up a bunch of debt and now you find yourself feeling stuck, making minimum payments, SaveWithConrad.com can help you out. First of all, we're going to show you how to get out of debt faster at a much better interest rate and do it with cheaper monthly payments. Here's how we do this. First of all, we're going to get you a better deal on your mortgage. Most Americans have an interest rate in the fours, fives, or sixes, but we're routinely helping our podcast listeners get interest rates in the twos and threes. And I've been doing mortgages for 19 years. I've never been able to offer rates in the twos, but I'm doing it every day now. And I'd love to run the numbers for you and show you how much you can save by taking advantage of these historic rates while we've still got them. We've all got this election looming. Nobody knows exactly what that's going to do to rates, but I know we've got the best rates we've ever had right now. But the time to act is now before it's too late. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. You won't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. Wouldn't that be nice? Let's go ahead and finish up 2020 with no house payments. I mean, let's face it. Your house payments, your single biggest bill, right? Now imagine if you got to pocket two months of that, that's going to be the cash infusion you need just in time for the holidays. And oh yeah, don't put Christmas on a credit card. We can show you how to get rid of all that credit card debt once and for all. So by the time 2021 rolls around, you've got a much better interest rate. You've got a much better mortgage. You've got no credit card debt, and it really is the clean slate. Maybe you've been looking Let's make it happen for you right now. Get a quick quote for free at SaveWithConrad.com. We're licensed in more than 40 states. You don't need perfect credit, and you don't need money out of your pocket to see if we can save you some cash. So what have you got to lose? Two house payments, a lot of stress, unnecessary interest. You've got a lot to lose, but only if you hurry right now to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. It's SaveWithConrad.com. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, High quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. 
Steven Singer Jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm positively wonderful. And how in the hell are you? Well, I'm glad you changed your tune. I'm so excited to be talking about this show with you. We're covering Saturday night's main event 28 today. It's from October 13th, 1990. So just a couple of days ago was the 30 year anniversary of the show. Bruce, I'm pretty fired up to cover this one with you. 1990. I was at the peak of my fandom as a little kid. I was young. Good Lord. 30 years ago. Yep. Good Lord. I'm not that old. I'm I'm 34 now. (laughs) This one went down at the Toledo sports arena in Toledo, Ohio. It was actually recorded nearly a month prior on September 18th. And it airs on NBC, but this is the second to last Saturday night's main event to air on NBC in the nineties by Saturday night's main event 30, the show would be on the Fox network, but the conversations were already happening, especially around the newsletters surrounding this. And Meltzer reported that the company had signed the deal with the Fox network to produce a special in February. That would essentially be like a WrestleMania countdown show. And the report said that Fox would pay more for the WWF than NBC does. But there was concern that the NBC executives might not be so happy that you guys were jumping ship. And of course they did fail to renew and now you're moving to Fox. So two more, this is the next to the last one. When we first started talking about Saturday night's main event, you made it very clear that NBC was very hands-on and Dick Ebersol, as we famously said here on the show, Dick was everywhere. They were uh, scripting some of the promos and had a lot of input. Was the bloom off the rose here? I think a little bit and more than anything, I don't know that it was so much that NBC was unhappy. I don't think that they were unhappy at all. Matter of fact, they had a great deal. So there's nothing for them to be unhappy about. However, the production of the television show you look you look at what happened from the time that they started with Saturday night's main event to now 1990 the television studio in Stanford had opened so we had our own state of the art editing facilities and editors and producers and everything that was working in house for us there was no longer a need to go to beetlejuice uh and do that it with um the folks in New York City and that's what Eversol's folks wanted to do. They wanted to edit where they were comfortable at Beetlejuice in, in New York. And we had our own facility. So it's like, no, let's use our facility. In addition to that, there had been a little bit of controversy with the director of Saturday night's main event from the NBC side. And it actually wasn't even NBC. It was Dick's production company and us in that he didn't, he wanted to do things his way and Vince wants to do things his way It's Vince's ball and it's Vince's game. So that's the way that we're going to do it. So we had gradually taking more and more control over of that product where before it was 
on the production side of things and uh, network side of things handled by Ebersol's production company, much more so than us. And now as we have our own facilities and things are getting bigger and growing, we're taking a lot more ownership of it. And we're doing a lot more of it. Talk to me a little bit about when things started to get a little rocky. One of the things I saw in the observer, and I'm sure you're going to cry foul on that, but I at least want to bring it up. There's blood in this particular show. Of course, we're going to see Dustin Rhodes sitting ringside million dollar man's going to try to buy everyone's seat around him. He won't sell his seat. Eventually it breaks down Virgil and DiBiase attack Dustin. Dusty comes in for the save, but it's too late. His son has been lacerated. So there's blood here on NBC, but the observer would write quote, Titan ran into trouble in 89 when it aired blood by a blade wound, which is expressly against NBC standards in violation of Titan's contract with the network. While some are saying the juice was hard way or an accident, if that's the case, it will be edited off the show. My guess is that's far too coincidental to be anything but part of an angle. So do you remember there being quote unquote heat, if you will, in 89 about you guys, uh, getting a little color on NBC. Wait a minute. I want to see where this guy comes up with that. There was this written agreement, no blade. I want to see that Dave. Right. And you know what? If you can produce that document and prove that, then I'll quit the show. <laughs> well, let's hope he does I'll quit everything. It's just a blatant, it's a blatant made up fabrication from some wannabe gossip monger sitting there creating his own conspiracy theories and making shit up. Okay. You ain't got to get hot about it. No, I am hot about it because it's just a lie that you probably read when you were uh, looking at that 1989 as a small little Conrad <laughs> and, and, and you were probably at, at, the, at, at the, the, the motel six Conradison. It wasn't a Conradison yet. It would grow to that. But yet you believed, you probably believed the lies and the bullshit and fabrication that this person printed. I can't even call him a man. That this person printed and and represented as fact when it is pure fiction. Could you imagine the lawyer drawing that contract up? Well, it would be Clint. My name is uh, uh, Clint Day, lawyer from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I'm going to stipulate that there will be no blood with someone taking a blade out of their pocket and cutting themselves on NBC Saturday night's main event. Fuck me running. Here's something else that's making the news. In addition, the WWF has filed suit against the New Jersey State Athletic Commission for its tax on its television revenue. Titan admitted to the state legislature back in 89, that wrestling was predetermined and that the participants worked together to put on a show as a way to rid itself of commission regulation. The move garnered a lot of publicity and did result eventually in a few states, most notably California dropping regulation. However, in New Jersey, the governor pocket vetoed the bill. In other words, it just wasn't signed until it's time expired. And then the bill was killed. So Titan loses the fight. And that's in the observer here that Titan is getting both the bill reintroduced in the legislators. And they're also attacking the commission through the courts, claiming that pro wrestling isn't a sport, but an art form. And therefore it's protected from the athletic tax. The state commission has counterfiled a suit against Titan sports 
and a judge denied the motions from both sides. So it looks like it's going to be decided by a jury. And we've talked about this in 97. Of course, when we covered SummerSlam 97, we know that you guys brought out the governor and handed her a world title and celebrated that. Yay. We can have big events in New Jersey again, but I got to tell you, this is some wild shit here, man. The company is suing the New Jersey state athletic commission. What do you remember about this? Well, because it was silly. And when you think back and you look at the athletic commissions, regulating wrestling is, is a joke in and of itself from the point of view that they're regulating a, an entertainment show. They don't regulate Broadway. They don't regulate a Barbara Streisand concert. And it falls into that same group that it's, it's total insanity to think that they have any jurisdiction in reality. However, for so long, wrestling promoters craving legitimacy would pay the tax and they would pay to allow these outside commissioners come in and dictate to them how to run their shows and dictate to them that they need to have a doctor there, which that's a good idea to have a doctor there, but to have a commissioner with a set of rules that were silly and never, ever actually abided by, but they would pay that to have that legitimacy to say, Hey, we're regulated by the state athletic commission. So we have to be legit. They, that's the price that they paid that 5% off the top to have that air of legitimacy. When you look at it, you look at the amount of money and the, especially the amount of money, a company the size of Titan sports at the time is paying to athletic commissions for them to do what they did nothing. Now the athletic commissions are coming back and they're saying, well, if the event emanates from our state and you are getting revenue from this event emanating from our state, then that revenue also pertains to this event. And we want five points of that. It's not bad enough. You're getting five points of the live gate there because of whatever fucking bullshit law there is. But now you want 5% of worldwide distribution and that you have no entitlement to at all. So it was, it was a silly, silly play by the state athletic commission so much so that it's like, okay, you want to play this game? We'll make sure that you don't get anything from now on, because now we're going to expose you. We're going to come out and say, Hey, again, let everybody know, folks, this is entertainment. This isn't sport never has been They're predetermined winners and losers. And what we do here is tell stories and entertain people. This is not a physical uh, competition. This is art. This is a play. This is all written. So you don't now, you know what? Forget about the 5% that you would have gotten on live events. You're not going to get anything now because you don't deserve anything. We played the game enough. Now they got greedy and their greed is what eventually cost them their revenue for the state. And also a lot of jobs on their side. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing, waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever 
To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are, and they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brake right away, it can take over a mile to stop. Over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Let's talk about some other jobs coming up here. Uh, the next big pay-per-view event, of course, in this era is Survivor Series, and it's going to feature all eight-man tag team elimination matches. Uh, on top is supposed to be the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters. That's not the tag team. It's just Hogan captaining one team, Earthquake captaining another. The Warriors are going to open the show against the perfect team, and then, of course, we're going to end in the ultimate match of survival. And Meltzer freestyles on the observer here that the last match would probably tease Hogan warrior at WrestleMania. Of course, that would have been a WrestleMania rematch for seven. We know we're on the heels of six here, but we know instead we're going to get Sarge and Hogan, and we're going to beat that up here. But what I found most interesting here is not the was it Meltzer was wrong. Okay. Tickets for this show survivor series, a pay-per-view $22, $19, $15 and nine bucks family friendly for real, for real. It's, it's remarkable. And we should also talk about how show business. Since we're talking about ticket sales, this is an interesting time in the business. And there's going to be an overarching theme of this show as we cover it. We're coming off the hottest, the company perhaps ever was, and now it's not quite there. And people are going to sort of freestyle, whether it's Wade Keller or Dave Meltzer, that they're not exactly going to call warrior a bust as a draw, but it's disappointing from when Hogan was on top. Here's an example. The company ran their first show at MSG in months on September 21st and drew under 12,000 folks. That's roughly $185,000 gate. And what was described in the observer as a poor show, but by the standards of the day, it's the fourth largest show since WrestleMania on top. It's ultimate warrior and LOD taken on demolition. If you had to go back and think back to say the fall of 1990, do you think Vince was considering the move from Hogan to warrior to be a bust or flop a disappointment? I don't know that at that time that he was really looking at it as, as a flop per se, because you're looking at if both sides. So let's say for example, that Hogan and warrior both weren't drawing, then you would have looked at it as a flop. I think it was an experiment to, to look at from the point of view of, is there someone else? Is there another attraction that we can get to the point of being as viable as Hulk? And Hulk was still a, an attraction and people were still paying to see Hulk. And the argument was made that a lot of people thought, well, shit, it's hard for to give Warrior that flunking grade, if you will, when Hogan's still active. Right. Because now I've got a choice. The truer test probably would have been take Hogan out of the equation 
and see how Warrior draws on his own. Given a choice, I think that people preferred Hulk. Well, they definitely did. And they did run shows like that. And we're going to break down some of the, the differences here that really stuck out to me. But this is the era, because this is important. You know, for years at this point, you guys had been running not just A and B towns, but A, B and C towns. You were running three shows a night. And Melser would freestyle that perhaps you didn't have enough talent to really make that third show profitable. So when you decide to kill the third show and just go to two touring shows, you're going to have Hogan on, on top of one. You're going to have warrior on top with the other. And now we can see what we've really got. So that's going to result in some folks leaving some folks being laid off, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, listen, three shows, that was probably a tall order to begin with. Do you think two was the right way to go with this? Well, yeah, uh, at the time when they were doing three, you have to understand too, that those third shows were spot shows where they're running local high school gyms and doing fundraisers of the sort. They weren't major markets. And now you're running kind of an A market and a B market. Maybe that, uh, if you're running New York city as an A market, you may be running, um, Cleveland, which also is an A market, but you're not going to be running as big of a market. Maybe, Indiana. I don't know. Shit. I try to think of like a smaller market. Um, Kansas city. Okay. Would be a B market. Something else I wanted to bring up here. One of the reasons that Hogan can't be on all these shows is he's got so many other opportunities outside of the ring. One of them being suburban commando, which is going to start filming on September 24th in Hollywood. And reportedly New Line Cinema offered a role in the film to comedian Richard Belzer, who we all know was famously choked unconscious by Hulk Hogan on Belzer's show, I think when they were out promoting WrestleMania, like the original one. Uh, and I think they ultimately settled out of court for, I don't know, like 300 grand or something like that. This is the ultimate rib, is it not? Inviting Belzer to be in this Hulk Hogan movie? Well, it would have been a nice part for him. Sure, it would have. Yeah. Of course, we know that, uh, somebody else is going to pop up in suburban commando and that would be the undertaker. <laughs> and I can't believe this is real, but, uh, everyone's been speculating about the egg they see on TV around this time. Of course, it's going to be the big kickoff for the gobbledygooker. We've covered that in our survivor series, 1990 episode way back in 2016, check the archives at something wrestle.com. But there's lots of speculation about what's going to be in the egg. The first time we, uh, <laughs> we heard the rumor in the observer, it was that it would be King Kong Bundy returning, which I have to admit would have been quite the fucking visual. The idea that King Bundy, Kong Bundy, every time you go to the bank and cash a check, you're stealing money, Bundy. You go out there and you flip flop and you lay there like a piece of shit, 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 shit like a big old jellyfish in the middle of the ring, Bundy. You're the drizzling shit, you cash a check. You're stealing money from this company, Bundy. There was <laughs> something a little later in the Observer. This is directly from the Observer. And it's written, everyone seems to think mean Mark who at the time was of course in WCW will be hatched out of the egg on Thanksgiving and be called Eggman. Thankfully he was not Eggman. He was the undertaker and history was made. And, and again, again, 100% fabricated bullshit, just made up lies from King Kong Bundy 
to Mean Mark being the Eggman, to Ric Flair coming out of the egg, to there was one, there was another one that, that they had that uh, oh 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 this was a great one that Andre was going to come out of the egg as you know it was a giant egg that would hatch a giant. So, completely false from day one, very beginning, the egg was the comic cooker. I love the way you say that. From day one. No, nothing in between. There was never, hey, it could be this guy, it could be that guy, we could do this, could be that. It was comic cooker from the beginning right. to be a mascot. Kind of like the San Diego chicken. Right. So um, Dave, as usual, 100%, 10,000%, completely wrong, fabricated, just okay, make up. Still, he's still making up shit. Let's talk about superstars. You guys had an angle on here, which we've recently talked about. It's a brother love segment where Rick Martell would spray arrogance into Jake hang Roberts. On, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But it is, it is good that, that Mark thought for a little while he was Eggman. that he was going to be hatched in an egg to come out. Yeah. You're going to go from being a badass in WCW to uh, Eggman. Yeah. We just destroyed his career, didn't we? Yeah. I wish you would have came up with something better. Thing. Yeah. Well, you did come up with a fun angle for Jake and Damien. Of course, arrogance being sprayed in their face with Rick Martell. But the other fun thing that happens on the brother love show in this era, the ultimate warrior put a dress and a wig on you and called you sister love and said, it's just another dress for savage to hide behind. What do you remember of this segment that, uh, we sometimes get tagged on online. I thought it was very mean. I thought it was unprofessional and very, very mean. I was a very nice guy and I didn't deserve to be treated that way. Uh, you know, shit, it was actually a, a lot of fun and I enjoyed doing that shit. I enjoyed the diaper stuff with Piper yep. and, and the shaving kit. And this was one that I actually enjoyed with warrior with the, the whole wig and the sister love stuff. And I wanted to do like a big giant, uh, bra with all kinds of stuffing popping out over the top and shit like that and have more fun. Of course he didn't want to, he didn't want to do it's like, if you're going to do it, do it. Do it. Yeah. Just like, let's come on. Let's right. get ridiculous, man. You want to go fucking crazy? Let's go fucking crazy, man. Um, but it was actually, believe it or not, that was a lot of fun. And it was something to do it, it, being tied to Savage and all that other shit. And it was go do that before I got serious with Taker. Another thing that popped up in the news that I'd never heard about Meltzer would say backstage in Oakland, there was a fight between Kurt Henning and Boris Zukov word was, uh, there was a few serious blows were thrown before blackjack Lanza threatens to dock both guys some pay and then they break it up. But apparently Boris was getting the better of it. And Meltzer says, think about it. How are you going to hurt that head? What do you remember? Uh, Kurt and Boris getting into it for here? I, I don't, I, I, I don't remember that at all. And I, I find it if that if that actually did happen, I think it would take an awful lot because Jim Nelson, Bor, aka Boris Zukov, 
is probably one of the easiest going guys you'd ever want to meet. It's gotta be a rib, right? Kurt loved to rib people. Maybe he ribbed him and probably. went too far and yeah. Now that I could see and yeah. that I could see and I could see just pushing Jim to that point where it was like, fuck you, Kurt and, and Kurt bowing up and neither guy backing down. But Hey, here's a true statement that, uh, dynamite Dave actually made. You couldn't hurt that head of Borzukov. <laughs> Let's talk about something else that's happening in this era. We should mention that, you know, the, the fight with Crockett is over. He's out of the biz now. There you go. Crack a cold Miller light. Hey, by the way, since we're talking about cold beverages, you, uh, you got some special deliveries at the, uh, HQ recently, you, uh, made a plea for help here and boy, did our listeners hear something to wrestle army? Did they come out and force for you or what? Holy shit. Okay. The greatest beverage in the entire world. Sobe water, blood, orange, mango, the single greatest beverage ever made great nectar to mankind. You can't get it up here in a Pepsi, uh, representative that actually DM me and said, Hey man, they don't make it anymore. But you know what? The something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard listeners, by God, they don't take no for an answer. You know why Conrad? Because there's three kinds of people in this world. There are those that try, there are those that give their best shot. And then there are those that listen to this podcast and love us and they do whatever the fuck it takes. Okay. So imagine Imagine the delight when my, my assistant is, I don't know. She's maybe like three foot four, but she comes in and she's like, Oh my God, there are these huge heavy boxes and she brings them in and puts it down. And says, what is it? And I lift it up and immediately I knew Yep, boxes of Sobe water of blood, orange, mango, Sobe water, Mike called. Okay, mentioned him a couple weeks ago, right? Yep. Yesterday he sent me another hair oh, package. I love you, Mike. Dave Riney, a humongous box. I love you guys. And as, as sad as it is to say, I've I'm drinking my way through it too because it's, I'm, I've been jonesing for it. Matt Miller sent me some, a humongous, beautiful care package. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Can't forget Lenny Bakken was the first one. Um, he's got my home address, so he sent it home, but the rest of them came to the office. So it was, you can't imagine my refrigerator is stocked full and I am one happy camper because midday I start, I break into it. It's like, you know, when you go to happy hour and you have that first beer, that's how I am with my blood orange mango. So life water. Absolutely positively love it. And let's go ahead. since we're like in a thanking thing. Right now, I want to thank everybody that contributed to the GoFundMe for John Paul Shellnut. Um, he's still a long way from his goal and still needs an awful lot of help. John Paul Shellnut suffered a stroke. Dear friend of the show, dear friend of mine for many, many years, Conrad's, and we love him to death. The left side of his body is paralyzed. He has no feeling. He's having a hard time. He's, he's in a rehab hospital, but they're kicking him out. Insurance is only going to pay so much and he is going to need an awful lot of help because he can't work. And again, insurance only pays so much and he's going to do it. So if you can help out, go to GoFundMe, look up John Paul Shellnut. We'll put a link up on our Twitters and, and all over the place for everybody, but every little bit counts. And when I say I can't thank you guys enough, I can't thank you guys enough because we were, we were the only ones plugging it on our show and JP's got, some famous friends that we 
we blew everybody out of the water because it was the listeners here on this show that left a note saying, hey, we love this show, so we love John Paul and helping him out, and I can't thank you enough. And if you can, please go fund me. John Paul Shellnut, a wonderful guy, just needs some help right now. And that's what we do is we help, and we help those that need it. And to all you guys, can't thank you enough. Absolutely. And we hope he's doing better sooner rather than later. Let's talk about something that's happening, uh, with counter programming. I, I stopped there because we wanted to thank everybody who helped with the Sobe water, but Crockett's out now it's Turner, but we're still head to head whenever we get a chance. And you're actually gearing up for a battle head to head with the NWA on October 27th. This time it's going down in Chicago and the WWF is going to be at the horizon, which will be head to head with the Halloween havoc pay-per-view. And they're going to have, uh, well, as you know, they've got sting and Sid vicious on top and well, lots of interesting stuff on the undercard, but you guys are counter programming it and putting out some big stars, ultimate warrior versus Randy Savage, dusty Rhodes versus Ted DiBiase boss man versus rude Tito Santana versus barbarian Davy boy versus Haku heart foundations on the card against rhythm and blues. Either way, you're not exactly loading the show up cause there's no Hogan, but still you're counter-programming a pay-per-view. This is, uh, interesting. And I, I want to talk about it. You've got, you know, Crockett out of here. Does Vince just still have a burr in his saddle about any wrestling promotion running pay-per-view and he wants to counter-program it just because no, it's competition and it's business. So you want to go head to head? Let's go head to head. We've done that a few times. Well, they did the same thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's business. Well, here's the thing. They weren't going head to head. You made them go head to head. That's what I'm trying to pull out. No, of we you. didn't. Nobody made them go head to head. That was their choice. What to run a pay-per-view. Yeah. But they announced before you says who? Oh gosh. Okay. Let's keep it going. What, Dave Meltzer said that. All right. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven singer. Isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98. real jewelry. Doesn't have to be expensive plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven showroom is open by appointment only or go now to I hate and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Let's talk about herb Abrams. He's going to have the oh, much anticipated debut of the universal wrestling federation on September 24th in Reseda, California. A lot of people learned about this for the very first time earlier this year on dark side of the ring. 
We've got an incredible 425 fans on hand. Uh, and I can't wait to talk to you about what you thought of this guy coming out and advertising Steve Williams, Paul Orndorff, uh, Blair, Danny Spivey, Colonel De Beers, David Sammartino. They've even got Bruno on commentary. Eventually they're going to promote Andre, the giant. This had to be something that was on your radar. What'd you think of this whole Herb Abrams experiment? <laughs> um, you know, you, you hear scuttlebutt, you hear everything. There, there were so many at the time and so many throughout the years from Eddie Einhorn and of course, Vern and just different people trying to get together and we're going to, we're going to open up a promotion and we're going to be on TV. We're going to get cable and we're going to put WWE out of business. If you are in business to put someone else out of business, that is the wrong reason to be in business. And if that's your ultimate goal, you, you will never win. And I think that a lot of people that that was Herb Abrams mantra was I'm going to put Vince out of business and I'm going to be the sole wrestling promoter or what have you. And I don't think that it was ever really taken that seriously. It was another one of those, well, let's keep an eye on this, see what the hell they're doing. See if they have any talent. Is there any talent over there that we may be interested in? And that was how we looked at it. We looked at it as a place where Guys that weren't being booked at either WWE or WCW uh, was another place to find talent. So that's kind of how we looked at it. I don't think that there was ever any serious consideration, especially when they opened up with their grand debut and 400 people in the audience. The story of the night is they used an enhancement guy who wrestled under the name Davey the Observer Meltzer. Meltzer would say, which was supposed to be Abrams knock at me. I only wish Vince McMahon would knock me the same way. Meltzer did a job for Williams who shoved a piece of paper down his throat and poured a little dirt on him. Then man, <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know why this is funny. Um, I find it a little funny. Eventually, uh, they get a kick out of this backstage. And I think Bruno helps talk him out of doing it again. But what'd you think of Davey Meltzer doing the, uh, the job here and Dr. Death sticking sheet, a sheet of paper in his mouth and pouring dirt on him. Um, well, if it had been held in the Tokyo dome, oh, God. two and a half stars, something else that popped up in the observer that I'm, I'm interested in Meltzer would write a huge throng estimated several thousand people showed up on Saturday for a warehouse sale in order to make room for new inventory. I was told that everyone was shocked at the turnout and more security had to be added at the last minute, the wait to get into the facility. And they did have a few baby faces there like dusty Rhodes, Jake Roberts, and the bushwhackers was said to be more than three hours. Do you remember this? If you had like all sanity, it's genius. I guess the idea is, Hey guys, come on down to the warehouse. We've got old dead stock and we're going to cut a deal. It's almost like a going out of business sale for a furniture company, right? Yeah. It was all these, you know, the old t-shirts and posters and just everything that we had excess of. And we threw in some current stuff as well, but 
I remember showing up just kind of like, going, oh, hey, yeah, this will be uh, this will be interesting. You know, just see see how it's going. And pulling up, going, holy shit! Got cops out there directing traffic and all this other crap. Had to pull around back to go in, and it was it was quite impressive to say the least. But yeah, people, it was there. They had the stanchions, you know, uh, yep. up, up and down with the lines and everything. And people, it was forever to get into that damn thing. And it was chaos because I forget who we had there. He said, Dusty, but we had a couple talent there and signing autographs and different shit. But it was, it was insanity. Something else that really jumped out at me is the company is going to sue three bars in Dayton, Ohio for illegally showing WrestleMania six inside their bar. And Titan's going to try to get 330 grand in the suit from each defendant. And of course the bar owners say they bought the rights from a New York based company who told them they had the rights. Uh, and eventually it comes out that, Hey, this was accurate. Primetime 24 had negotiated this and it was authorized through the company, but I guess it's enough of a burr under the saddle. They say no more closed circuit like this. It's only pay-per-view moving forward. Uh, I guess maybe WrestleMania six didn't do gangbusters on closed circuit because well, pay-per-view was a little easier to come by here in 1990. But my question, when I saw the story was how the hell did Titan find out? This was way, way, way before the internet. Did you guys just have a quote unquote stooge in Dayton who tattled? I mean, it seems really random. This would be on your radar in Stanford. What's going on in a bar in Ohio? Well, because it was the number of people that attended and the number of people that they had come in. And, and again, yeah, you've got people that, that get that information to you. You also have watchdogs out there ahead of time that are looking for anybody advertising the event at a reduced rate. So for example, Hey, come to uh, the Conradison and watch WrestleMania. And it's only $15 ahead. I see when you're charging whatever it is, $24 a head on pay-per-view or you have closed circuit, which by that time the closed circuit was almost Damn. non-existent. Yeah. So the, the way that, uh, the satellite companies would do it to a, a bar someplace where the patrons had to pay to watch it as a cover charge or something like that is they would do it by capacity. Right. So if your bar held a hundred people, you would pay, essentially you'd pay that $24 a head for the hundred people. And then if it's 200 people, you just, you do it per your capacity. And I think that the rub was, yes, they did purchase it, but I think there was a little misrepresentation as far as what their capacity was and what they were actually charging and advertising. Most of what report in this era, Coco beware had some sort of fight in a holiday Inn bar in San Francisco on Saturday night. And he sent home from the tour. He would miss Sacramento and Fresno. Jerry Monty would substitute for him. And Meltzer would say no word if it's long-term. And you've told us before that what really gets Coco, the ax is a fight overseas. Was Coco just a hothead? What can you tell us about Coco and his temper that seems to make the news with fights here and there? See, I never knew Coco to be a hothead. I, now, I say he's not a hothead, but Coco was a ballsy son of a bitch, and Coco wouldn't take shit from anybody. Coco wasn't the biggest guy in the room, but I dare say I'd put him at the top of the toughest guys in the room. 
So I, I think that sometimes people looked at cocoa as uh, smaller or shorter in stature, but he more than made up <laughs> for it with his toughness. So I, I just think that Coco was the kind of guy, from my experience, that he had to get pushed pretty damn far to fight. But when he did, you better look out because he will whip your ass. Something else that I want to talk about, because you mentioned it earlier, you brought it up that here will be the real test of what the drawing capacity was. Meltzer would write, you know what kind of money Hogan means? Compare the California houses with Hogan. They did 167 grand in Los Angeles, 105,000 in Oakland and 95,000 in Sacramento with the exact same crew, but no Hogan. They did 30,000 in Fresno. He's the biggest star in the business in 1990. And it's not close. No, it wasn't close. Not, not even remotely. And what had happened is over the years is I think that Hogan's drawing power just got stronger. They weren't tired of him yet. They were getting tired of him and they wanted something new. I just don't think that what we were giving them new is what they wanted. Meltzer really goes deep on what's going on with the house show business in this area. He says, because the house show gates have been fair for the past few months, Titan is starting to do localized interviews for the major markets. In fact, in this market, which has always been one of Titan's hottest, but the loo- the last two houses with Hulk Hogan haven't been anything higher than the previous houses without it. They even ran an angle for the market. Hogan was beating quake by DQ everywhere, but here they brought out a video camera and, uh, well, they do a whole angle here. And then Hogan does specific localized interviews talking about the last match and the upcoming match, almost like it used to be done. And Meltzer would say, give them credit when a market they've made a ton of money in starts to struggle. They do the right thing in order to spark it back up. It may not work, but at least they're not just sitting there and letting it slide. The localized promos. That's something I do want to bring up because it's something we used to see a lot on TV and then it felt like it went away. Was there a time when the company was so hot that we felt like we didn't have to, we know something brother this Saturday night in the steel cage. And then when it starts to dip, you just adopt it again. Why did Vince move away from it in the first place? Did it make it feel smaller or less than and not doing those localized promos makes it seem like a bigger deal or what's the rationale for pivoting in the first place? Well, I don't know. We never actually stopped doing localized promos. We changed the way and the format that we did the promos localized because we had an event center for lack of a better term. And we had the, someone throwing two comments from everyone. You didn't hear Hulk actually say, well, brother right here in Fresno with the Fresno Coliseum, I'm going to do this. Uh, you had Gene Okerlund say, Hey, Fresno Hulk is coming. Let's go to Hulk and tell us about what you're going to do to earthquake. Well, brother, right here, earthquake, you're going to get yours. And it was Hogan's comments were generic specific to the match, right? The wraparounds, they always were customized. So it was just the way and the style and the format that we did it. And just, you know, kind of went back and looked at maybe it will mean more if the talent are speaking directly to the consumer. And we're talking about, you know, here in Houston, Texas at the Sam Houston Coliseum uh, and mention people locally from the talent themselves versus the guy in the event event center. 
Let's talk about this a little more. Meltzer would say the drop-off basically started after WrestleMania. When it first took place, there were some that were just labeling it as a post-WrestleMania drop-off. Traditionally, the period prior to the big show and for the few months after, the live gates show a marked drop-off. However, just as traditionally, when the big title changes hands, the first go-around for the new champion is usually big business. That didn't occur this year. Two years previously, when Randy Savage came out of WrestleMania as WWF champion, his matches with Ted DiBiase shocked everyone because they did huge gates nightly until it started fizzling in the latter stages, simply because it dragged out maybe a month too long this year with the ultimate warrior who beforehand figured to be a better drawing champion than Savage, but he turned out nowhere to be close and his first go arounds were only decent business, but now summer's over and whatever post WrestleMania letdown that there may have been should be long over but the box office blues are not. And Meltzer does a little freestyling. He says, there's many excuses that have been given. It's hard to say what's valid and what's not, but nobody seems to think it's a temporary problem because they don't see anything on the horizon. That's going to turn business around. And Meltzer says this problem isn't unique to the company, but they've almost been impervious to this. Whereas the NWA had really struggled. And he even freestyles that maybe some of the problem. It's from pay-per-view. He says at this point, fans have been educated for three years that pay-per-views are no longer once in a lifetime spectacular, but in actuality, they're quarterly specials, which climax the storylines and the house shows seemingly serve a lot less purpose and therefore have less interest. Do you agree with that? Do you think that on some way with as pay-per-view became more common and more accessible that perhaps it did hurt your live experiences? No, I don't. I, I completely disagree with it. It comes down to the the simple rule of if you promote something that they want to see and that they want to come out and see, they'll come out and see it. And at the time, we didn't have the detraction that would get people off their ass to come out and see it and support it. He also says the second big problem is the stars. Quote, Titan still has one star who can draw and he can be counted on to draw. Hulk Hogan, but he says that Hulk is no longer an automatic sellout, even in the largest cities. And he says he maybe really was never an automatic sellout, but the last time at this point, he sold an arena out was more than six months ago, but he's got a lot of outside commitments until the end of the year. And that's when he can come back and work a full schedule. But until then they've got to figure something out and they've seen some major erosion at the box office. And they also wonder if the Hollywood movies aren't a big hit, could that hurt his drawing ability inside this genre? And that's something I never really thought about. Did you guys think that if we tell you he's the biggest star in the world and we present him as such, then he is. But if we test the waters in the mainstream and it's well, less than that, does it tarnish him a little bit inside this world? I don't know. I, you know, I, it's funny when you look at the drawing and, and what draws. And, and I remember Dusty when we were going around and it was the program with Savage and Dusty mixed tag Sherry with Savage and Sapphire with Dusty. And I'm in the corner of Randy and Elizabeth was in the corner of Dusty. And every night we told this story in the, in the Dusty episode, Dusty would look out, peel the curtain back and go, Oh, Pungan here. Last time that I was here, 
Hogan was on top. We already got more people than they had last time. Oh shit, we 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 tearing it up. And Savage and I would go to the curtain. We'd look through the curtain and. I don't know what the fuck he's looking at, but this is a drizzling fucking shit. And every night we would set that record and I would get the phone call wherever the hell I was. Early the next morning. Congratulations, pal. You set a new record. Lowest house in the history of Waco, Texas. Or wherever the fuck it was. And, but to Dusty, you know, he's looking out there last time. I was here on Hogan. Hogan was on top. We would done at least double. And literally for almost every market, we did set a lot of low records, uh, didn't draw for shit. Um, with the exception, Madison Square Garden, we outdrew Hogan and Earthquake uh, with our match on top. And and that was one that, you know, Dusty used to, to point back to go, go back, just, just check the garden, baby. Just check the garden. And we probably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that's all that counts, baby. The mega MSG, baby, Mechondrium. Outdrew Hulk Hogan. Last time they big. What? How much? How much TV time they put in that punkin' head? They had the big angle with you. Of course, you part of this too. I give you a little bit of credit, not that much, because it's American Dream. But baby, we had it all there, and Hogan all this TV time. Put him out, broke his ribs all inside by the big earthquake. Come in, and then little old American Dream comes on in and out, draws him, if you will. And he hung his hat on that one garden show because we we did. We actually beat him in the garden. But it it just was, yeah. Um, it's the attraction that's all it is this episode is brought to you by blue chew guys remember the days when you were always ready to go well now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed you've been looking for listen up it's bluechew.com that's blue like the color blue as you know by now blue chew brings you the first chewable with the same fda approved active ingredients as both viagra and cialis now, what's great about Blue Chew is you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it really counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And of course, it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Maybe best of all, no more awkwardness. You don't even have to leave the house. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code WRESTLE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and the promo code is WRESTLE to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use Wrestle at BlueChew.com. The other thing that he's going to bring up is that, well, and this is interesting because it's sort of what you were just talking about. Quote, the folks at Titan will say that this is not only the wrestling business down, but all touring acts that work arenas aren't doing the same business they did in previous years. And he would compare it to ice capades and Sesame street on tour. But he says that at the same time, baseball didn't have any 
drop off that summer. So perhaps it works both ways. And then came the famous, well, the wrestling business. Wait a minute, who didn't have a drop off? Baseball in 90. Oh, I see the HJ motion there. He did say that, uh, a lot of people in wrestling are going to use the cycle excuse. And we've heard that as wrestling fans, Oh, the wrestling business is cyclical. And he says, maybe that's valid because wrestling had always had its ups and downs, but he says, usually it's based on a new technology being formed. Of course, in the forties and fifties, it was TV, but then it was, you know, through the fifties and sixties, it was through UHF television and et cetera, et cetera. Of course, the advent of cable were off to the races. Then maybe freestyles another possible issue. Maybe the guys are overexposed on television. The idea being that there's more hours of wrestling on TV right now for the WWF than ever before. But if you counted all of the other promotions, there was more wrestling on TV back then. What do you attribute? Why is business down? Why is the ultimate warrior? Perhaps not the draw we hoped he would be. Again, you can sit there and make excuses all day long. And there are people, old timers in the business that would tell you, I'll go back to Dory Funk senior, that if you want a babyface champion to be over, he needs to, to defeat a straw heel champion. Warrior be the biggest attraction in the business, the perennial babyface in Hulk Hogan. So to a segment of the audience that was really cheering Hogan, yes, it was a passing of the torch. Yes, it was sprinkling Hulk dust on him. But there was a big part of the audience that was like, nah, fuck him. Hulk's my guy. Whereas had a heel defeated Hulk and then done the, tra- you know, again, transitional champion. And then Warrior ultimately defeated them it might have been different, but then again, that goddamn new gas station might not have opened too. Right. So I think that you can create a lot of excuses, but having both of those guys still on the roster and you compare them there, there wasn't a comparison because Hulk was clearly outdrawing and still doing magnificent business. Whereas, you know, warrior in the same position did not. I'm just fascinated by looking at this and and he even starts to draw parallels saying someone remarked to me that the situation of the WWF right now is reminiscent of the NWA around 86, 87, where they're still drawing decent crowds, but one could see they were headed long-term in a bad direction. Quote, they kept recycling the same guys at the top for the long haul without anyone new being allowed to be added to the mix. The heels virtually always lost at the house shows. So there's no actual heat on them. The angles became more far-fetched and as time went on, the NWA went through turnamania. So baby faces were heels and heels were faces, which effectively confused everyone. And he says the company hasn't quite reached that state yet, but he does see parallels. Do you see any parallel? Do you think you needed more top guys or more guys to be moved up? I mean, he's freestyling here that a guy like Ted DiBiase, who was a great performer, he had done so many matches where he lost around the, uh, the country that maybe he wasn't taken as seriously as he would have been just a couple of years prior. Well, I think that, you know, anytime that you, the more people you have over the better, I, and I don't think that the drop-off was as big with Randy Savage, 
the year before. I, I really don't. I think that Randy held his own and worked as champion. Was it as big as Hulk? No, it was not. But it was, I think it was better than Warrior as far as that immediate turn. And that's why I kind of point to a little bit, Randy beat a heel in a tournament, but he beat the top heel really in the company at the time in DiBiase in the tournament to win the championship and then went right into the program with DiBiase after that. So it was a, it was a hot program with a distinctive baby face and heel and Hulk was out of the picture in the beginning. You know, Hulk came back what in July after warrior one. So Hulk wasn't really gone that long. Uh, before he he made his return. So it's just, I think you can make excuses all day long, but the, the, the bottom line comes down to, they want to see Hulk more. Something else that uh, you guys are going to do is you're going to bring back Roddy Piper and he gets a lot of praise in the observer for how he was doing on commentary. When he comes in, did you think he would do as well as he did? He's all over this show here, uh, October 30th, 1990, Saturday night's main event. Yeah, I did. Because you go back and you look at the early work that Piper did in Georgia championship wrestling as Rod Piper, uh, when he first came in in like 81, I think it was my years are probably off. Um, and Piper did color straight. Now he, you know, he eventually got to that heel slant on things, and then you know was rowdy Roddy Piper, and uh, started getting more into his character stuff. But I knew that Roddy had it in him to be that straight color guy. Yeah, a little bit more Roddy Piper in, which is what people wanted, and I thought it would be very entertaining, and and he was. Let's keep it going because I'm excited to talk about something else. You know, we know that Piper's here because well, Jesse's out. The USA today runs a story on October 8th saying that Jesse Ventura is going to run for mayor of Brooklyn park, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis where he lives. And he's going to take on an 18 year incumbent. Uh, did you have any idea that he had an interest in politics like this to, to run and be mayor? We know eventually, uh, I don't know what, eight years after this he's going to become governor. Do you think he really thought he had a shot at this? Did you know he was interested in it? Did he ever make an overture to you that he was going to try to run to be governor or perhaps as silly as it sounds, maybe not so much in hindsight, the president. Well, first of all, I knew Jesse definitely had an interest in politics from day one, because that was the subject matter whenever we were waiting for Vince to come for voiceovers, Jesse would always be engaged in some kind of political debate with someone in the edit suite. So I knew Jesse definitely was big into politics and yes, Jesse told us he was going to run for the mayor of his local town there. I don't think anybody in their right mind thought that Jesse would ever win. Just not that he wasn't qualified, not that, He didn't do a good job. I have no idea, but just because it was Jesse and you look at people that, that you meet, I never would have thought, you know, same thing back in 1988, 1989, you know, that Donald Trump would be president. You know, you don't, you don't think about it when you know, these people are and are around them. And then next thing you know, you look up and go, holy shit. Um, 
but Jesse, Jesse had high aspirations and, and Jesse saw things in a different way and obviously was passionate enough about it to do something about it, not just talk the talk. Jesse walked the walk and decided, you know, hey, I'm going to go out and do something about it, ran and won. And I think he got a taste for it at that point to where, hmm, I think I could do something. Let's talk about somebody else who's coming in trying to do something. Kerry Von Erich, who we recently touched on on that Saturday night's main event episode not too terribly long ago. He's going to start being referred to more and more as Kerry Von Erich and less and less as Texas Tornado. And Meltzer would even say the new names Texas Tornado and Legion of Doom aren't getting over at all with fans because they're still referring to them as Kerry Von Erich and Road Warriors. And we did notice that, that not the Road Warrior piece. Obviously, there was a movie and we didn't do that, but. We did start with Texas tornado and then slowly, but surely started to hear Kerry Von Eric a little more Why the pivot. Do you think from Kerry to tornado or the tornado to Kerry? Like it feels like you wanted to, we, we know what Vince does. He wants to rename it and Hey, we're going to own it. And here's our new thing. And that was before this is now, but it didn't feel like it clicked. So that's why we tried Kerry. Well, I don't know that, that it was all the way back to Kerry because it kept in Texas Tornado. It was just maybe more reference to Kerry. Yeah. Um, Nickname. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I think that it was okay. Maybe people are going to remember Kerry uh, Von Eric and and let's play off of that too. So you're getting you're double dipping. You're going to get the Texas Tornado that we created. And oh, by the way, it's Kerry Von Eric as well. So you get the people that are a little bit confused. Um, I think it was more than anything, just trying to expound that character. Let's talk about, you know, as, as the company is, uh, struggling a little bit, they're just not the company they were before. Lots of folks are going to start leaving either on their own, or maybe they're asked to leave. Perhaps the biggest is Rick rude. And, uh, Meltzer would say the biggest loss is Rick rude. Whose departure had little to do with weak crowds. Rude quit the promotion in the middle of the week, which is the reason several C team shows were canceled the weekend of October 8th. The early word was that rude was simply holding out because he was unhappy with his SummerSlam payoff reportedly 17 grand, but you can always take numbers like that with a grain of salt. And supposedly he and Vince had been at odds since he had a triceps injury and missed some house shows with the ultimate warrior. But at this point he's gone and they even announced it on TV that I guess Jack Tunney said that, uh, Rick Reed had been suspended for all the remarks regarding boss man's mother. His mother's a whore. Oh my gosh. Listen to you chat me up though. Do you remember, you know, I mean, could, could this have been remedied? Is this what, as far as you recall, and I know we've talked about this a lot about Rick Reed in the archives, but now with this number here, 17,000, I'm not asking you to, Hey, was that the right number or not? But is that really what it comes down to? He was just unhappy with the SummerSlam payoff. Could Vince have said, you know what, pal, you're right. Because we've heard over the years, if guys would complain about their, their pay, they would go and a- ask for a meeting with him or Jr. And sometimes they'd get a second check in consideration and say, you know what? You're right. Here's a little more. Was Vince worried about setting a precedent here or was it beyond that? And rude just felt disrespected and he was out no matter what. I th- again, I think it depends on who you are and what the situation is. Uh, I have no idea whether that number's uh, accurate or not, one way or the other. And there's always going to be talent uh, 
<laughs> from the beginning of time that feel that they are underpaid no matter what the hell they're paid. They could they could make and keep the entire house and somehow feel that they got screwed. Right. Um, it's it's inherent in the business. So if for Rick to feel that way wouldn't surprise me in the very least. Uh, for him to go to Vince and in events he had a convincing argument, but that's between him and Vince. And if Vince felt that there was a compelling argument, then shit, I could see Vince giving him more money and saying, okay, yeah, you know what power you're right. And here's a bonus. Um, or if Vince felt very strongly that what he got was fair in comparison to where he was on the card and what he did, then Vince is going to stand by his decision and that's it. What's crazy though, is when, when rude leaves, he's got a year left on his contract. So for nearly a year, he can't go to WCW. He's just going to sit at home. It's just amazing to me that he makes this decision. Another guy who quits is Akeem, and Meltzer would say this one was more amicable. He just was tired of the road life and wanted to go home. So he did. And they speculate that he may try to take a stab at the UWF. And Meltzer would also say in the wake of those two departures, the big house cleaning that we mentioned that would have happened last week because of cutting down from three shows to two finally took place. A number of wrestlers dropped isn't known, nor are all the names known, but the figure is expected to be 15 to 20. And, uh, yeah, apparently there's a lot of moving and shaking here, including Jim Neidhart, Greg Valentine, honky tonk man. But the idea of being Neidhart and Honky are going to be kept around just so they can do TV. I think Neidhart was allegedly offered a spot as a color commentator. Honky Tonk is going to be doing some TV spots, but he thinks Jimmy Snuka, Jim Powers, Boris Sukoff, Nikolai Volkoff, Black Bart, Pez Watley, Jim Brunzel, Paul Diamond, Coco Beware, and Ron Garvin are all going to be gone. Blackjack Lanza and George Steele are no longer going to be road agents. There's a lot of moving pieces here. Maybe the most surprising one to me is Jim Neidhart because he's still a tech team champion. Um, this isn't the first time you guys had cleaned house. It's gotta be painful. Anytime something like this happens, what do you remember about this round of cuts? Well, again, first of all, some of those names like, like, uh, Jack lands and Jim Myers, George Steele, that just flat out did not happen. Well, I think the concept was they just weren't making all the shows anymore. So instead of being on. I don't know the way you guys paid back then, but I've always been led to believe that if you're a road agent, you were on the road and then you got paid based on the house or however many matches or whatever. So perhaps they're just not going to be using them as much, which makes sense if you're going from three tours to two. Yeah. But, uh, but again, it wasn't, yeah, that was just one of those things and, and house cleaning, you know, as far as Akeem goes, he wanted to go and start a mortgage company in Alabama, I believe. Um, <laughs> then the rest of them were just part of cut. Sometimes you got to clean house that that's, that's business. And, and that's part of the business. Sometimes you've got to churn and shake things up. Volkoff, he says, uh, although he really doesn't work well, nor have baby face psychology down was given an awful big push and a lot of big television time, but it just didn't seem to work. He describes Greg Valentine as being a perfect model Titan employee does what he's told never misses matches um they thought you know maybe they'll find a spot for him and Meltzer's going to freestyle here 
it's hard to say how much, if any real financial pinch, the WWF is facing right now. And there's a lot of this going around because this is also the era where, although we're letting guys go, we're also start starting the bodybuilding uh, promotion, the WBF. And at the same time, we're working on a $9 million office, which we know is going to become Titan towers. Is it tough to explain that to some of your legacy talent that, Hey, we got to let you go, but check out this guy's biceps right here. It was a different business venture. So uh, again, that happens in business when companies expand and venture into other, other businesses and, and what have you. Sometimes you, you've got to cut in one area to invest in another. And that's exactly what was happening. It, the offices, we'd outgrown the offices that we were in and needed to have bigger offices and, and different offices as well. So those are business decisions that happen every single day in business. And I think that even in 1990, that a lot of talent still had come from the territory days to where, you know, the office in Tennessee is Jerry Jarrett's back bedroom. And the, the office in Dallas is in the sportatorium in a rat infested building. And there weren't, they weren't doing the kind of business the Titan was in where they were involved in merchandising and marketing and all of these other things. So to some may have been a little difficult to understand, but it was nothing more than, all right, we're going to expand. We're going to try this new venture, you know, WBF people felt the same way craziness about the XFL originally. So it's those kind of things are always going to be second guess. Was I a fan of uh, the WBF? Nope. Didn't get it. Didn't like it, but that's something I didn't understand. Um, I'm sure the the dirt sheet writer was awful gooey over that one because he, he likes his little bodybuilding. Things. Oh God, please stop that. It, what? Well, I just know, listen, well, he it, likes bodybuilding. Doesn't he? I'm not arguing that, but here's what I'm saying. I think it's natural, whether it's fair or not. That when guys get delivered bad news, they look to the owner and they see what he's doing. I mean, there's the famous story of everybody seeing Jerry Jarrett's house for the first time, which you've alluded to before. And you know, they're sleeping in their cars and eating raw potatoes, but here we're letting guys go, but we're also signing bodybuilders to a six figure deal. And we know that's going to operate at a loss and we've got this new big shrine and I could see how it would be a tough pill to swallow for some of the guys being let go. That's all I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, six figure deals, uh, maybe some of them had that, but the rest of that was over-exaggerated and that was perpetuated by dirt sheet lies and just people guessing. The other thing I want to bring up and, uh, well, it sort of jumped out at me. I think when all these layoffs happen, guys get nervous because it makes the observer and I'm sure you're going to poke holes in it, but I don't think we've ever talked about it. Quote, while this sounds like a time for the NWA to make a move, don't expect it to happen. While there are Titan employees who may be talking either formally or informally, it's no secret that Bobby Heenan seriously negotiated with Jim Hurd a few weeks back. The Turner organization is feeling its own financial strain coming off the multi-million dollar losses of the Goodwill games, blah, blah, blah. Bobby Heenan talked to Jim Hurd that, that I had no idea. Did you hear of this? Nope. So you, you, you just freestyle. That's bullshit. 
I'll free, freestyle it because 99% of the shit that comes out of his mouth is bullshit. So why should that be any different? But I, I can't tell you one way or another, you know, yes or no, that it happened. I, I don't know. Never heard that. Let's talk about your old pal, Dick Glover. And, 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 and let me say this too. And to that point, when Bobby did negotiate with WCW, I did know that I knew that before Vince knew that because Bobby and I were close and Bobby, uh, did share those kind of things with me. So I think that if that had happened, I probably, I think Bobby would have confided that in me, which makes me doubt it. Save with Conrad.com makes saving money fast and easy, but don't take my word for it. Just ask Brian in Topeka, Kansas. He left us a five-star review and wrote Conrad Thompson and his team helped me and my wife own a home. Thanks for helping us with the best decision of our lives. No, thank you, Brian, for trusting us with your single biggest investment. What about David over in Manassas Park, Virginia? He left us a five-star review and wrote, I'll be honest, I was hesitant at first to use a lender I'd never heard of before. However, Jimmy and Jennifer made the whole process easy. And I got a great interest rate as well. In past experiences, I hated dealing with lenders because the whole process was always a mess and created nonstop headaches. Savewithconrad.com made the process streamlined and straightforward. I will recommend them to all my friends and family going forward. What about Veronica in Oakdale, California? She left us a five-star review and said, Derek is great. We had 20 years left on our mortgage. We took out some cash. We're still at 20 years and our payment only went up $80 and the interest rate is under 3%. Think about that. The cash you've been looking for, it's hiding in your house. Find out how much money you can save right now for free and how great our five-star service is at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's SaveWithConrad.com. Let's talk about Dick Glover, the uh, company vice president. He's going to be with J.J. Dillon. They're going to go visit uh, in Japan, and they're going to bring along, uh, Kiyo Sato, who is the, uh, one-time booker for all Japan. He's going to be here as the interpreter. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys were trying to put together. It's freestyled in the observer that you're looking for a certain deal to do like a joint super show over there. And you're essentially wanting $750,000 to pay your overhead and expenses and then split the profit, which the prior year was $2.1 million at the gate. We know that you're going to have some opportunity to do some stuff over there. I mean, we even see some of that at WrestleMania seven. Why was Dick Glover the right guy to make the trip? It feels like this would have been something Vince McMahon would have went to do. Is this like a 48 laws of power? We're not sending the top guy. We're going to send other people. It does feel like Vince could have made this deal all on his own. Well, if Vince has to do every deal and make every, every decision in the company, then what do you need all these other people for? Okay. Fair enough. So, you know, that's why, and, and Sato was, oh, oh, JJ, oh man, they, they put the pancake in, in my uh, makeup. Oh, they tried to rid me. Oh, I'm going to send the JJ. Oh, oh, I love, I love oh. you. I'll never so forgive. Sato maybe. Oh, I, I love a Dick Glover. Dick Glover. Yeah, very, very. I love Dick Glover. I love Dick. What? I don't know. I'm going to tell the JJ. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you got yourself tickled. Hey, I want to ask you about this because since we're talking, since we're talking about house shows, uh, old Dick Glover 
has for several months been of the opinion. And apparently he's not the only one that the company was wasting their advertising resources when it came to promoting normal house shows. The idea being the actual fans who support the live shows are going to be sold on buying tickets by the television show and either they'll come or they won't, but outside advertising to the general public, unless it's a special event or some monster show with Hulk Hogan, then largely that's money. That's just gone to waste. And I got to tell you, I kind of buy into that a little bit. I mean, it feels like over the years, you guys have maybe trimmed some of the advertising for house shows. I know a lot of times you would do stuff like barter deals and trade deals with radio stations, but do you think this is the era where, Hey man, we don't have to advertise on billboards and radio and TV anymore, unless that's our own TV. Cause our fans are going to be watching that, right? Absolutely. It's a rifle shot. So, you know, versus the, the shotgun effect of trying to advertise in the market, just all over the place. It's a rifle shot. People are watching your programming. They're interested in it. Hey folks, here we are. We're coming to town. And I, I do believe that if you love your dick enough, it will eventually come. What, where, where did this come? What, what are you doing? with that? Well, you said that Dick Glover was talking about them coming. Love your, if you no, love no. it, it will. No, 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 no. We're good. Yes, it will. Hey, I want to mention this to you, October 13th. So the day this show is actually airing, uh, you guys actually run a show that night in San Francisco, or maybe that afternoon, there's only 4,500 fans there to see Hogan and tugboat take on earthquake and Dino Bravo. And Meltzer says it's the second smallest crowd that Hogan has worked in front of in that area since joining the company in 84. And supposedly it's so bad. But Vince McMahon starts going on the road with Hogan, trying to figure out, Hey, where'd we go wrong? How can we get some of his drawing power back? And I don't know that just to me stuck out like a sore thumb Vince making road house shows with Hogan. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. I don't know that it was necessarily Hulk or Vince making road trips with Hogan Hogan. I think it was just something along the lines of right place, right time, different markets. If Vince had some business there and you have a live event going on as well, then he's going to go to the live event and, and see that also, you know, Vince always went to the New York markets and went to those live events from Nassau, Meadowlands, the garden, Hartford, New Haven, you know, Vince would always go to those. And then from time to time, if we had a live event going on and Vince had business in the area, then he would pl- try to plan it around that. So I don't know that it was necessarily, I'm going to go see why Hulk isn't drawing in these markets. Um, it was, it was more of the former. Well, we know that, uh, we know to address the thing we just mentioned a minute ago, Bobby Heenan does resign with the company. And Meltzer would report once that happens, that it's clear in hindsight that Bobby was just using a herd mating, perhaps as a negotiation ploy, but the rumor mills starting up about Jake Roberts, that he's allegedly trying to leave the company here. We know eventually he's going to, but we're still a little ways away from that. Do you remember Jake being unhappy in this era? Is it just based on, you know, his half show pay sliding a little bit? Is he not happy with his push? Is he just deep into his other stuff that we've addressed before. I think it was a combination of, of Jake looking at greener pastures and feeling that, 
if he's not going to be the top guy here and has the opportunity to be the top guy elsewhere, then why not investigate that? Jake also had visions of being the booker and taking WCW in into another era. So that I do know was on Jake's mind during that time and felt that he could help them creatively uh, by taking the book and, and doing some things in that regard. Um, you know, as far as Bobby Heenan, I just, uh, again, I think that's just rumor and innuendo. Well, Jake allegedly uh, was telling people he had a half a million dollar offer from the NWA. Of course, we know he's going to start back with Martell on uh, November 17th. They're going to work this blind angle. We're going to get that blindfold match. So I'm glad he didn't leave. Thank God. Yeah, we needed that blindfold match. Let's do one more piece of business and then we'll talk about the show. We've been talking for well over an hour now. Titan signs John Filippelli to a new deal to help up the quality of TV production to keep the WWF ahead of their competition. He had 23 total Emmy nominations, mainly working for NBC sports. He worked on things like the super bowl and the world series. And I, uh, I think, and I don't know that you've told us, maybe you have, but I feel like you maybe didn't always get along with John Filippelli. No, I didn't. Uh, John didn't like me. I didn't like John. John fired me. Um, and we had a completely different different way of doing things. And, uh, personally we were polar opposites and John didn't have, uh, in my opinion, a lot of respect for, for our business and coming in was, it was kind of like Jim Crockett in mid South when, when he bought Watts territory and said, nothing's going to change with the name on the check. And then everything changed. You know, Flip came in and, oh, you know, hey, I just want to get to know everybody and then just started bringing in his own people. So um, I'm sure he's a he's a talented guy. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have been in the business as long as he has and been as successful as he has in baseball. Uh, he loves baseball and he's a he's a sports guy. With you know, like baseball and golf, but it, it's <laughs> Jim Ross used to you show, yeah, it must be real fucking hard directing golf and doing golf. It's like ready one, take one, and there's the drive. Well, that was a good drive. Wonder what he's gonna hit for a second shot. Putt looks to be about six. I mean, how hard is it? Um, not knocking anybody or anything, but a baseball, I'm not a fan of either. So again, I just, we didn't have a lot of interest. He, uh, he came in and I remember, uh, I had a, I had a ring that I wore and he says, Oh, you like rings. And he came in with all of his, uh, baseball, uh, world series rings and shit. Like on, on all those things. Oh, look at my rings. I'm like, okay, cool. Great. Right. I don't give a fuck. Um, you know, brought, brought all his Emmys in. And again, the guy was an accomplished, uh, producer and he was brought in as the executive producer to help in other avenues with the WBF, but also to take the product in other places. And flip wanted to do it the network way and the way that he was brought up which in the long run did not work out well for him. Um, 
because he just wasn't um any time that you would be introduced to someone, they would be introduced as a people person. Yeah. Pat and I used to look at each other and go, uh-oh. Because that was usually the kiss of death. And Flip was introduced as a people person. So it just uh, wasn't, wasn't well liked by those in the studio for the most part. And... Um, he wasn't or you weren't oh both okay both i i don't think i was well liked especially at that time in in the studio at all listen you're more uh self-aware now and you, you've embraced fully that you are a heel and you can be cantankerous and difficult to work with did you make it hard for him to be there i mean were, were you difficult to work with were you intentionally immature and petulant at times or was Absolutely. It? Okay. Yeah. And, and I, you know, when you look back on it, yes, I was, um, it, at the time I was thinking, Hey, you run it, man, you do, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. And, um, I'm, I'm going to be over here doing my shit. You go do your shit. I'll help you however I can. But I, I, I was an asshole doing it. I, I didn't, you were, you I didn't, were divisive. I was okay. I didn't play well with others. Right. And I, I didn't, I didn't do well when there was someone in between me and Vince and, and it just was, that was difficult for me to, because I, I could. Let me just, just ask, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I want to ask, cause I think I, I speak Bruce sometimes. Did you feel like, and I'm not, I mean, you've never told me this, but who the fuck is this guy? He's a non-wrestling guy and he's going to come tell me what to do. I've been doing this for fucking years, not just here, but other places. And I know how this place works like the back of my hand. And now he's going to tell me how wrestling's done. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Me. I think there was a big part of that. And especially because I was 28 years old and I knew everything. And you were making a lot of money and sort of had life like you liked it and just assumed it's going to be like this forever. This fucking goof, blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. And and I did not, I didn't make it easy. And that where, you know, is where I learned that you got to make it work. Good, you got to make it work. You got to work with people and you, you've got to, you've got to give and take, and it can't be all give, give, give can't be all take, take, take either. Right. It's got to be, uh, you've got to work. It's, it's no different than having a match and working with your opponent. Either you're a good worker or you're not a good worker. And at that time, I was a very selfish worker mm. and looked at it only through my lens and only worrying about in wrestling terms, getting myself over. I didn't give a fuck about anything else. Right. And thought that everybody saw it my way. So it was this new guy coming in with, and he, and, and look, um, he doesn't get a pass either. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't get a pass because he didn't, he didn't work with me, but 100%, I take full blame and on all of it because I should have been smarter and I should have been the better worker to work with him and outwork him and just, you know, work with him. And, and if, if he's going to fail, he's going to fail. If he's going to succeed, then we succeed together. But I didn't do that. Let's get to the show itself. We had originally sort of freestyle that we were going to do a watch along, but I found so much other stuff here that I wanted to talk about that 
we're not going to do a watch along today, but I do encourage you to go watch this show because golly, I love 1990. We're going to start with uh, Legion of doom teaming up with the ultimate warrior. So we have all the warriors here, the former road warriors and the ultimate warrior taking on demolition. And, uh, there's a lot of face paint here. Maybe my favorite part of this is the promo beforehand where demolition is doing some of their comical promos they could do at times. And I don't know why this tickled me, but crush says that he's going to pull out their eye hair brows, not eyebrows, <laughs> but eye hair brows. And he makes the motion to, I don't know why, but eye hair brows just tickled me. Meltzer would say the match was well-paced, but when you've got six guys and only have five minutes, it should be, there was nothing wrong with the match, but there was nothing right with it either. Two and a half stars. I love the ultimate warriors. Look here, rocking the black. Uh, I was a big demolition fan. How, how could you not love the look of the road warriors? This was a cool way to start the show. what do you think of this match? You saw it for the first time in 30 freaking years this week. Well, it was a six man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is funny when you look at this and you look at the level of talent in it and where all of these talent were at different stages of their careers from warrior to LOD to demolition. Even when you break them down to Bill Eadie, mass right. superstar, crusher Khrushchev, Barry Darso, and then there was crush. Um, but you, you look at the magnitude of the talent that was in this match and it was pretty fucking impressive. It was what it was. It was meant to go out and have, you know, a collision with the six humongous names. And it was what it was. We've always been fascinated as fans while we never got demolition and road warriors at, at, it feels like that should have been a major pay-per-view match. Of course it wasn't, but it does happen here on Saturday night's main event on NBC. You've told us before there was some rationale and reasoning into the way we're going to position a card. You're going to put out what has the most interest, your biggest stars right up front because it's late night. So it's after your local news. It was a challenge for me as a little kid, man, I was usually asleep by that point. So I'd have my, my uncle wake me up and say, Hey, Hey, wrestling's on. He would come watch wrestling with me and ta-da, I'm here to see my favorites. But I wonder here, since you know, Hogan is the bigger drawing card. Was there more of a strategy to put him at the end and just tease the Hogan deal all the way through? Because you've told us before at TV tapings that could sometimes be marathon shows as far as a live event, it could be five or six hours or whatever that you would just tease Hogan all the way through and then show him at the end of the night. And that crowd that looked worn out, man, they would just come to life when that music played. Was that sort of the strategy here? Well, no, because here it's, it's your fighting sleep and you want to grab people's attention off of the evening news right off the bat. It's one of the biggest things that you've got. And in that one, like it was a long match or anything of that ilk. So right after that, you let them know, Hey, Hulk's coming and try to get within that 30 minute time frame before midnight. So little Johnny, little Connie can stay up and, and watch Hulk Hogan uh, when uncle comes in and wakes him up. So it wasn't too late in the show, but yet it wasn't We here in this particular situation. Sometimes did give it to him first, but in this particular situation was to tease them to stay a little bit longer. So they get to see their favorite Hulk Hogan. 
Let's finish 2020 with a high note. Let's skip our next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. That's going to give you the extra cash you need this holiday season. We're going to start 2021 with a better interest rate, a lower monthly payment, and no credit card debt. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you right now, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket at SaveWithConrad.com. We routinely help our podcast listeners save 60, 70, 80, even $100,000 worth of unnecessary interest. But how much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's SaveWithConrad.com. Let's talk about the next match. It's Randy Savage and Dusty Rhodes. Randy's going to get the win by count out in eight minutes and 18 seconds. Meltzer would say the match which was awful and he puts in parentheses, but needed to be because a good match would have diverted attention from the ringside angle was the backdrop for the angle. Dusty Rhodes looked even worse. If that's possible, Savage was good when he was doing something, but most of the time it seemed like he was simply trying to make sure nobody watched the match. Dustin Rhodes was sitting at ringside and Ted DiBiase and Virgil paid all the front row fans a hundred dollars to leave. And Meltzer said, I was told this was a shoot, which made me laugh. Uh, they tried what a fucking idiot. <laughs> they tried to pay Dustin, but he wouldn't move. They wound up brawling and throwing him into the ringside. If it area. were a shoot, if it were a shoot and you offered Dustin a hundred dollars back then, he would have taken it. Of course. But he means the fans that the fans would forfeit their $20 ringside seat for a hundred bucks for a match. Well, here's the thing. They tried to pay Dustin, but he wouldn't move. They wound up brawling, throwing him inside the ringside area, inside the guardrail. Quote, DiBiase potatoed Dustin with a chair and he juiced. The camera showed the juice, generally from faraway shots and no close-ups. Neither McMahon nor Piper ever acknowledged the blood, which wasn't, quote-unquote, supposed to be part of the angle. To clarify and correct what has been written here regarding NBC's policy on juice, the network has no policy. I lied. It is McMahon's personal philosophy on wrestling to minimize blood because he doesn't feel it gets the right effect anymore and works as a detriment to the family detriment to the family audience. He aims at, I'd been told there was a problem with actually blading, but not with the blood itself. And then if the blood came from a legit wound, there is no problem. Anyway, in this case, there is no problem at all with NBC over the blood being on TV, but there will be no graphic shots of it either. Charitably, I'd give this match a star in three quarters because they shouldn't have had a good match because of what was supposed to be accomplished. But listen, this is kind of cool to see a very young Dustin Rhodes sitting ringside and Roddy Piper can't help himself on commentary. And he says, Oh, that's Dusty's son, Dustin. I can tell because they both got blonde hair, which tickled me. And there's a great line on commentary when Dusty's coming out. Roddy starts putting him over saying, oh, and I know you love this guy because you love them polka dots. And Vince says, what can I say? I love polka dots right in the middle of the show. I don't know. Considering how much we talked about this at the beginning of something to wrestle four years ago, that just tickled me. You saw this one for the first time in a long time. It's a pretty memorable angle. You see dusty rolling around crying with Dustin. Uh, we know that dusty's not long for this world. He's headed out of town very, very soon. But it had to be kind of cool for Dusty to work with his son here, right? Dusty was in heaven. Yeah, th this was this was a big deal, and especially to be able to do it on national television on NBC. So it was yes, Dusty had done some things with Dustin before, and they're 
I don't think it was Turnbuckle Pro. It was Florida Championship Wrestling before that that Dusty had. And Dream was excited. Dream was absolutely excited and happy as shit that he could do something and that Dustin would get this opportunity. So it was pretty cool. As a matter of fact, you know, all these years looking back and seeing this young Dustin Rhodes sitting there and doing it with DiBiase too, for me, just from personal feelings. I love Teddy and I love Dusty. There was a little heat and animosity with them in the beginning, but everybody got through it and it was all cool. And they became really, really good friends. I feel like now's as good of a time as any to talk about some of the cheesy shit you put on this show. The superstars are having fun at Oktoberfest. You know what's going to happen eventually. It's going to be a fucking food fight. But we have Mean Gene and the Bushwhackers cutting the cheese. The superstars are going to have. From under cheese, mate. From under. You get the. What kind of cheese is that? Whoa. Yeah. From under cheese. You know, from under. They have a fucking dance competition, a dance off. They even have the superstars have a sausage competition. You sausage guys making <laughs> sausage making <laughs> when the sausage competition, they made sausage and fucking Franken move. Hey Bubba, pull up your own network. It says, and this is the exact quote from the tile. The superstars have a sausage competition and who's in the image. Lanny Poffo in a wig. You're going to tell me that's not a rib. You fuckers up there in Stanford. Y'all are having some fun with these that's tiles. That's not a goddamn rib. He knows how to make the sausage. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he's a connoisseur, if you will. So what the fuck? I mean, because so Duggan, it was a rib. There was no goddamn rib. And by the way, by the way, that was a shoot. I, when I saw that, I literally laughed out loud. Like, come on. Let's go. That, to the- was, that was about after about the sixth beer that I had out of the guy's bottom desk drawer of his special stash. <sighs> you know, he had they he would he goes, Oh, yeah, you can have some of that, but here's the special stuff I keep in this drawer. What do you think of the way Piper was dressed here with this silly hat and the later hosing and the whole deal? Sharp. He looks sharp. You didn't like his leader hosing? Silly. Let's talk about Hulk. fucking silly. That's how they dress. Don't get quarter he hot. The, he was in the goddamn fucking. It's Oktoberfest. You're in Frankenmuth. You're you're about as German as you can possibly get. And he was Scottish German at the time, wearing his little uh, dressy Frankenmuth leader hosen schniz bit schnabitz front of Snape sat J Chase. I feel like you're three three eight hot. I'm getting fucking there. I'm 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 almost nine twelves. I hope not. Because I'm I'm over here. I'm ciphering and I'm figuring. And you carry the one and follow the two. And that would have been yeah. three quarters, by the way, not nine twelfths. Greater you in. Hey, so let's yeah. talk about Hogan and Tugboat. <laughs> Hogan and Tugboat are going to take on Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine. They go to a DQ in six minutes and thirty eight seconds. Meltzer would say words. Sloppy work with Tugboat in the ring most of the way. Do you smell a tugboat turn several months down the road? There was a good heat since Hogan was involved. Hogan got the hot tag at four and a half minutes. Jimmy Hart ran to the back to get earthquake and Dino Bravo, but they were kept away from the ring by Pat Patterson, Rene Goulet, Jay Strongbow. So they were all, they were like mimes in a box trying to fucking get out of that goddamn imaginary box. Meltzer did say most of these guys who came out could still probably outwork Bravo in this era. 
100%. He says, anyway, they came back after honky hit tugboat with his guitar for the DQ and did the five on one on Hogan quake splashed him once then went for the earthquake finish, but tugboat made the save with the guitar and ran all the heels off. He gives it, he gives it two stars. So here's the thing I want to talk about here. This was filmed in September of 1990, roughly a month before it aired here in October 13th. At this point, did you already have in mind, we're going to do Hogan tugboat, chic tugboat at WrestleMania seven. Was it ever even considered? And you've said no before, but in this era, at this point in this month, was it considered to be Hogan warrior? Cause there's so many questions about that because of that promo that you ran at WrestleMania six and the poster that came out that you and I both have has both of their flags on the front of the LA Coliseum. Or at this point, did you already know? No, we got a plan for Sergeant slaughter because he's in the last match here and he's perfecting his noogie finisher. That's real. Um, have you ever had a fucking real noogie? Not one of them working noogies. I was wondering, do you want to give some noogies to all these dudes who sent you this soapy water? Don't worry. They're going to get thank yous. Chat me up for real. Where were you on the WrestleMania seven main event in September of 1990? Hey. Did you have a plan A plan B and plan C and what were they in order or whatever? Well, I can tell you that warrior and Hogan was never in the cards at all. Anyway, shape or form. Okay. The WrestleMania poster for WrestleMania seven, having warrior and Hogan flags on the Coliseum. They were the two biggest stars in the company. That's fair, it. Fair enough. So chat me up about chic tugboat. Where were we with that angle? At least in your mind here, because it's even speculated in the observer. Do you smell a tugboat turn several months down the road? It does feel like you planted some seeds, but then didn't pull the trigger. Maybe got cold feet and pivoted to Sergeant slaughter. Who's going to help finish the show here. Did you see the match? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, wait a minute. You're saying the slaughter match was that much better. The slaughter match wasn't designed to be any better. It was just Sarge beating Coco. I meant Hogan at WrestleMania seven. Oh God. You think, uh, fuck yes. I thought uh, Hogan and Sarge at WrestleMania seven was a damn good match. Oh, okay. Listen to it in the archives right now. Something to wrestle. Okay. I'm, I'm 11, 12 hot. Oh shit. Fire. This is getting serious now. Fucking a it is. Turn me up, but though, no, there real. was there was no warrior. There was no warrior Hogan, and I think in Vince's in the back of Vince's mind, he may have kind of maybe still be thinking about tugboat, chic tugboat. But at the same time, it was Sarge was back, and it's like okay, let's try this and and see how this works. But it was it was still early to pull that trigger and. Sarge coming back. Let's get him back in here and established as a heel. And the winds of change were in the air, put it that way. So you had, you had, who was second guessing it here? Is it Vince? Oh, uh, I, everybody, but Vince, at least, at least I, I, I can speak for myself and, and Pat Patterson that we, that, and I wasn't working in creative on a day-to-day -day basis, but I know, you know, I, I did talk to Vince about it way back then. And as well as Pat and both of us were like, Oh, Vince, we need, I, I don't think that, 
tugboat strong enough to, to do this and, and to pull this off. And the feeling was going from tugboat to chic tugboat. And we say that, that that's the working name, chic tugboat. I'm sure that we probably would have changed right, his right, name right, into, right, right. you know, chic Ayatollah, Furnum Snavitz, Ekapasis. Chic um, Ottman. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but at the same time, it was, and I don't, I'm not going to say that I was the first one to say Sarge, but when Sarge was rumored about coming back, the, when you go back and you look in 1983, when Sarge left, he was one of your GI top Jovia. baby faces, him and, him and Snooker, right? Fucking a man. Sar Sarge was as big as Hogan at the time. So from a baby face standpoint and you had the two biggest baby faces from whatever, six, seven years ago, but it was a big return with Sarge. And it was like the idea of the all American hero in Sergeant slaughter turning heel on Hulk Hogan. Um, it, it just felt a million times bigger Then add to that. Again, speaking about Jesse Ventura, when they, made it legal uh, or not against the law to burn the American flag. And Jesse chuckling in the in edit one one time going, yeah, wouldn't it be great if uh, Slaughter came back and burned the flag? Um, you know, it's like the, the wheels start turning. And you look at that attraction versus having to to turn tugboat. And I don't know that the audience was really buying tugboat at the time. Well, yeah, I agree with that. I, I want to take a sidebar here because I had this discussion recently with, uh, all of our ad free fans over on discord. And when you become an ad free member, uh, you get access to a discord and you can chat with us. And I saw an interesting post on social media this last week that says, hypothetically, if Vern went with Hogan, as the champ, he doesn't come over. And of course, flair and dusty were still in the NWA doing their thing. And perhaps none of the Von Erics had died and world-class was doing their thing. Who would Vince have went with as his top babyface? Would it have been slaughter? I immediately thought, well, it's gotta be snooker, but uh, a lot of the folks on discord thought, no, it's probably slaughter. Do you think it would have been slaughter one a snooker one B? Or who do you think Vince would have tried to build around? Well, I think that slaughter probably would have been the first choice. And I think that the second choice at that time, I could have seen Vince making a harder play for dusty. Wow. That would have been something else. You know, you're talking 1983. Yeah. Late 83, early 84. So you know, yeah, I think that Vince definitely would have would have gone with Sarge, and then a, a strong second to that, I could have seen him going back to to Dream and and saying, "Hey, look, just make a make a, a bigger play for him." Do you think if Dusty would have come to Vince in late '83, that perhaps we could have seen? And I know this sounds silly, Dusty Rhodes Rock and Wrestling, and Dusty Rhodes would have become. Perhaps not the superstar that Hulk Hogan did, but certainly have an even bigger legacy than he already has, right? Yes, I do. I really and truly do because Dusty 
had the charisma and the talk, and I could see Dusty on, you know, MVP. Sydney Lopper, baby, little Dick Clark was gonna be him talking all this funky, you funky like a monkey, and, and be in the video with all the bullshit. Did you just call MTV MVP? I said MTV. You said MPV. You I said MTV. Well, yeah, MTV. It w- him, MTV. And, him and Mr. T, that would have been hilarious. I could just, yes. it, uh, we need somebody listening to this Photoshop dusty roads as a cartoon on that WrestleMania poster standing next to Mr. T. What could have been, man, that would have been something else. Could be in some real nice polka dots and all, and maybe yellow and red polka dots. What about the promos too? Can you imagine the promos between him and Piper? It would have been unbelievable. Yes, it would have been. Oh, you look at you and your little polka dots over there running around. Yeah. Just a little floppy. Maybe yeah, that's why you can relate with the anyway. Well, come fantasy book, the territory. Hey, I don't, you saw, but we announced <coughs> earlier today, if I can do a humble brag, your brother, Dr. Tom, the most prolific wrestling trainer of all time is coming to adfreeshows.com. We're going to do a thing with him, Bruce called x-ray where you've maybe seen some of your favorite matches, but now we're going to take another deeper look at them and almost like the uh, NFL's answer to, uh, uh, Gruden's QB camp, Dr. Tom is going to break down these classic matches and explain to fans what he sees through a wrestler's eyes, why that match was their favorite, breaking it down piece by piece. Is there anybody better to dissect wrestling and why it worked than your brother, Dr. John Richards. No, I, I really can't. And I, I think that it'll offer a, th- that insight that everybody wishes that they could have understanding why it is that things are done and why, when some things are done, they're not always the best things to do. We're filming it this weekend and, uh, it's going to debut in November. It's going to be a weekly video series. And, uh, I can't wait because I'll be honest, I have a lot of favorite matches, but I don't understand why they did what they did and why that made sense and why it worked. And Maybe sometimes why it didn't work. So I'm looking forward to learning the mechanics and check out adfreeshows.com. Uh, Got to be lots more fun stuff coming there. Let's talk about the two last matches here. Kerry Von Erich is going to keep the Intercontinental title, beating Haku with a tornado punch in four minutes and nine seconds. Meltzer wrote, Kerry does nothing. One star. Was the bloom off the rose here for Kerry? It feels like, you know, when our, we most recently talked about a Saturday night's main event, it was right after WrestleMania six. It felt like he's got the big debut. It's going to be the big push. The crowd's going to go nuts. Now he's the intercontinental champion, but it just feels like he's a placeholder of sorts. He doesn't have this great run. Was Vince disappointed in his work? Was he not gelling with the boys or the style? Did he still have some stuff he was dealing with? Why wasn't this the hit that we expected it was? I think at this time that Kerry was kind of regressing a little bit and, and maybe trying to deal with issues. Um, yeah, a lot of personal demons. So I, I think that, that Kerry was getting tired from the road. It was different versus being on the road and being home every night in your own bed and not having to drive more than 150 miles a night to a town. And I think the grind in the road and everything else had kind of taken its toll on Terry on Kerry. Let's it took its toll on Terry too. We're going to do uh, a whole show on Kerry Von Eric over at adfreeshows.com. Stay tuned for that. 
Last match here on Saturday night's main event, Sergeant Slaughter gets the win over Coco Beware in five minutes and 18 seconds. And wouldn't you know it, it's that damned old atomic noogie that gets the job done. Meltzer would say much to my surprise. Slaughter worked real good here. He looks too slow when he's on offense, but he did a good job in selling to make it a decent match. And he gives it a star and a half. So he's back and it looks like he's uh, been behind glass. Y'all are going to break it in case of emergency. And unbelievably, he's going to be, uh, on a March to win the world title in just two pay-per-views. So this happens in September. It airs in October and by January, he's your world champ winning the world title from the ultimate warrior. It's something else to go back and look at him beating up Coco beware here and think he's about to be world champ. Well, yeah, stranger things have happened and the timing was right. The timing was right from that phone call of saying, Hey, you know, what if? Uh, sure would like to come in and talk to you, Vince, to here we are. And, and <laughs> as you say, six months later, look at where we are. Well, listen, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, oh, wait, you know what? We did have a lot of questions. Let's see if we got any good ones, because by the way, we want you guys to participate. We're having a lot of fun over on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. If you haven't already throw us a follow there, uh, it turns out Bruce, we had nearly a hundred questions. Uh, one of the questions is from Luke in Eastern Iowa. He says, it's always been made clear that Vince books superstars and angles and segments that he wouldn't feel comfortable doing himself. So I have to know, was Vince wearing later hosen behind the camera during the Oktoberfest celebration? Vince would have had no problem w- with the later hosen at all. I think he was a little jealous that we didn't get him any. Yeah, probably. Coach, you know how much Rip- that shit cost us? Really? Yes. Give me a, because give me it a, was real, real later, later hose, whatever. And it was almost 10 grand for all that fucking shit. Cause it was real leather. And it was, you know, people that, that, uh, had spent a lot of money on it, held it dear, near and dear to their heart. And the only thing they asked was please don't spill anything on it or get it dirty. Why, why did you, why did you feel like you had to have a theme? You know, we had wild kingdom before, and now we've got Oktoberfest. Why, why do you feel like you have, why can't we just have fucking wrestling? That's not fun. Okay. What's the theme for SmackDown tomorrow? <laughs> tonight. I'm sorry. Fun. Tonight. Tune in tonight on Fox. The theme fun. That's right. Coach Rosie wants to know, did dusty and Rick rude get along? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You got to get hot about it. Oh, hot at the fucking question now. Uh, Randy writes nine-year-old me was at this show and probably four or five seats from Dustin Rhodes. We need to know, Randy, were you offered a hundred dollars for real? Was it a shoot? Meltzer says it was. Uh, I remember after this dusty went into mourning, he was more serious and switched to red polka dots with a top hat with a vulture's foot on it. Actually, it was a chicken claw. Eagle's claw. It was an eagle's claw that I had on there with gave me. I take the power from the eagle and the claw in my head when the top hair, the attitude, if you will, baby. I'm only only gonna put three little polka dots on here because I'm not in my happy polka dot phase. So only gonna do three, and they're gonna be blood red like my eyes and my heart deep inside from within. Well, listen, he was even wearing the black and red here. We've talked about that before. Um, 
Blanco wants to know whose idea was it to call the genius, the sausage stuffing expert. He did. Okay. It's fine. You don't have to be hot about it. Uh, David Wilk wants to know, did Vince enjoy the infamous chicken dinner at Frankenmuth? Wasn't Frankenmuth. It's Frankenmuth. All right. Whatever. I don't know. Hillbilly from Alabama. How the fuck? I don't know. Well, Vince didn't get any of that. Why not? Because he was at the building. Wait, he didn't show up at all to that? You did it all by yourself. I did it all by myself. Wow. I, I take 100% credit for all that shit and Frankenmuth in the goddamn thing. Every single bit of it. I like, um, I did the food fight. I did the sausage stuffing. I did the Fremunda cheese. I did the beer. I did every bit of it. I don't know why, but you saying I did it all by myself reminds me of the time my daughter, like used the potty for the first time by herself. I did it all by myself. All by myself. Hey, uh, we'll wrap it up with one last question here. Matt wants to know, Bruce, do you miss sleep? (laughs) Hello, sleep, my old friend. Hey, by the way, are you going to get in trouble for this? You snuck out of the house to do this one. Like you were supposed to be nobody. No, no, we're doing this. It's, um, three 30 in the morning. Oh yeah. That's what I meant to say next week. We're going to cover in your house. Number four. Uh, on top of that one is British Bulldog and Diesel for the World Heavyweight title. We've got Razor Ramon challenging Dean Douglas for the Intercontinental title. Uh, King Mabel taking on Yokozuna in a singles match. Goldust working with Marty Jannetty. The Smoking Guns taking on the one, two, three kid and Razor Ramon. And Hunter Hearst Helmsley taking on Fatu. I love talking about 1995 with you. It's not the best year for the company, but it sure is fun to go back and revisit. And we'll do it next week here. That one went down in Canada. October 22nd, 1995. And you're going to get it next week on the exact 25 year anniversary. Bruce, I'm looking forward in your house four. that was the fourth in your house. That was the fourth in your house. And we're going to be in your house next week. And uh, I can't wait to do it until next time. He is at Bruce Pritchard. We are at Pritchard show. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And you can hear all these shows early and ad free, including the brand new series video series. In fact, that everybody's going to be talking about x-ray with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Oh, did you see, we got Gerald Briscoe too? mailbag Monday coming with Gerald Briscoe. You think he's got any stories? Do you have enough time to do that? I got here. It's kind of slow. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to remind Hel- you. Hello. Do you know what keeps Texas from slipping into the Gulf of Mexico? Oklahoma sucks. That's right. Yeah. I I'm, I'm ashamed and embarrassed that I know your dad joke. Hey, um, I wanted to tell you, cause today was sort of, we give everybody a peek behind the curtain. We were thinking we were going to try to tape yesterday. Then we said, <laughs> we we're definitely taping this morning. And then 50 minutes after we're supposed to start, you send me a text and say, oh, I can't blah, blah, blah. So then you say, I definitely can after today. And I feel like, you know what? This is like Murphy's law. You're familiar with Murphy's law, right? Bruce. It's like, I know Murph, the, the law that says, Hey, if something can go wrong, it will. That's Murphy's law. You're familiar with that one. Yes, I am. Do you know about Cole's law? What's that? Thinly sliced cabbage. We'll see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> I get it. Cole's law.
I thought you were like talking about Cole's Law, but you said coleslaw, which is that shit that you put on the Reuben sandwich. Well, that's actually on a Rachel. I like to put it on a Rachel that way. Hey, Mike Call, Dave Ronnie, Matt Miller, thanks for the soapy water. I greatly appreciate it. Keep John Paul Shellnut in your thoughts. Help him out over at GoFundMe, John Paul Shellnut, and uh, we love you, JP. And I'm going to get the fuck out of here and rock on. Coleslaw, I get it. Yeah, go to sleep, Bruce. Remember, it's uh, four in the morning. Wink, wink. Hey, you love the show, right? Show off that love with a shirt from BrucePritchard.com or get your gimmick at BoxAgimmicks.com, the official store of something to wrestle. Posters, hats, tumblers, accessories, and more. BoxAgimmicks.com. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Yes. Hello. This is Dave Silva. How are you? My friend. I am pretty good. How about yourself? I've been telling you for a long time that save with Conrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Uh, I would love to spend some time with you talking about your experience here with save with Conrad. Is that okay? Yeah, we can do that. What made you go to Save with Conrad in the first place? Ads on the on the show, and knowing that uh, it'd probably be a good idea for me to refinance because it's been a few years, so might as well support something that I've been getting for free for a few years. Was there something specific that Conrad said on uh, the podcast that made you kind of take that step forward? I just knew that it was about time to refinance, and you know, I just thought about supporting supporting you guys. You know, since I've been getting free entertainment all week every day i work now i see here that derek was able to help you with the refinance um how would you describe working with derek oh he was fantastic i didn't have to worry about nothing it was easy we texted back and forth if there was questions so no long drawn out phone calls to try and get a hold of one another just if there was questions just simple texting back and forth it was quick and easy not a not a worry in the world if there was one thing that you could say was your favorite part about working with our team what would that be? Just how, how smooth and convenient it was to where, like I said, I didn't have to sit on the phone on hold for hours and try to make appointments to talk with somebody. It was just, just super simple, easy as can be. Off the top of your head, Edmund, would, do you remember how much you were able to save through working with us? I knocked two years off my loan, so yeah, about $60,000, I guess. Now, would you, would you recommend this to a friend or a family member? Absolutely, yeah. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. 
And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you can skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.